I would encourage you to look in the bulletin and see some of the new things that are happening. There's a whole whack of things that are in there <coughs> that will be new events, things that are taking place. So please look in your bulletin and see all of that. One of the things that is new is our new banner and our new theme, God's Story and People. And I, I, I'm wondering if you can get these right. You don't have to raise your hand or anything to tell me whether or not you got the stories right. But the upper left-hand corner, if you can see what's going on there, you'll notice that this gentleman, who's very good-looking, by the way, has his hand on the back of this person's head down on what is no doubt a stone, and he's got a knife in his hand. And as it turns out, the fellow who's down on the stone with the hand on his neck is the son of the fellow with the knife. So you probably know that story. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And then next to that is a fellow holding some stone plates or stone tablets, and you probably have a pretty good idea about who he is as well. That's Moses coming down from the mountain. And then the one on the lower left, I don't know if you can really see what's going on there, but if you can see it, if you were as close as I am, you can see that in the background, the walls of that fortress in the background are falling down. And that's because these people have been marching around and they've got trumpets in their hands. And so they blow those trumpets and the walls fall down. It's the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And all of these stories have to do with what we're doing this fall. We're going to go through a number of these stories from the Old Testament and talk about God working in the lives of people and specifically in his children. And then in the lower right, that's a contemporary picture where God is still working in the lives of people. And in this case, feeding some hungry children from somewhere in the world. Someone is handing out some food. And we do that in the name of Christ as well. And God is working today, just as he did in these other places and other times in history to bring about events that really change the course of history and change people's lives. And so God has been working for a long time in people's lives, doing things and altering their existence with his stories of love which really ends up being a story about himself. And I think the reason he does this and the way that he does is because God knows that people love stories. As much as I hate to admit it, if I tell you a story, you remember the story. If I read you a paragraph that I wrote about the Trinity, you may be asleep by the time I finish the paragraph. I could tell you a story about Rebecca falling asleep while I was reading a paragraph that I wrote about the Trinity... And you would remember the part about Rebecca falling asleep, but you probably wouldn't remember that the paragraph I read was about the Trinity. Telling stories about what happened to people is memorable. In fact, stories teach, and we know this. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about Moses and the first five books of the Old Testament, or we're talking about First and Second Samuel, or First and Second Kings, or First and Second Chronicles, or the, the unknown author who writes Ruth or Jesus himself, or the Gospels, or the book of Acts. All of it is, in one sense, story. In fact, you could say that the Bible is largely consisting of storytelling. The biblical writers tell stories about what God did in creating the world, in creating the Jewish nation, in sending Messiah, in sending the Holy Spirit, in building the church, and what will ultimately happen with our futures. All of this is told in stories. One of the biggest mistakes of Christians is that when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we think of it largely as a book of laws or commandments. Or we think it's just 
sterile history told apart from story. But story lives and breathes and brings something new and different to us. And so the fact is there's actually very little strictly legal material in the Old Testament in comparison to the amount of history and story that's there. But we just have it in our minds. What's the Old Testament? Oh, it's a book of laws. Well, not hardly. Read it sometime. You'll find that that's not at all the case. It's largely the telling of stories that reveals us in the Bible the ways in which God interacts with his people more than anything else. God tells us who he is by telling us stories about himself and his people. God tells us who he is by telling his story in the lives of people. And so that's why we have stories about Abraham and stories about Moses and stories about Joshua. You know, when you meet someone new, there's information about them that's interesting and helpful and relationship building, and there is some information that is only marginally interesting. Some information is told to you and your relationship grows. Other information is only trivia. A lot of what teaches us and helps us grow are stories about people. Like, for example, it's interesting for me to know that Richie Reed's birthday is July 22nd, 19... Okay? That tells me how old he is. But what's really interesting to know is not just how old he is, but how old he is and the fact that he grew up in Liverpool about the time that the Beatles were coming out of Liverpool and making a name for themselves. That's fascinating. And he's told me that story. He's told me about how he was almost a Beatle, about how George Harrison was almost beat out by him in terms of playing the guitar. And so at that point, his birthday doesn't much matter. It only matters to me that he almost was George Harrison. It doesn't matter to me so much that he has a tax assessment each year and he has to pay property taxes. I think that's nice. But I want to hear about the Beatles. Now, if that were true about him almost being George Harrison, you would never forget it. In fact, because I told this story, you will never look at Richie the same again. It is marginally interesting for me to know what Ron Bailey does for a living or what his address is or how tall he is. But what's really interesting for me is that he spent so many years in Zambia and Zimbabwe and that his dad used to supervise mission schools in the southern province of Zambia working out of this exact same school from which Robin and I adopted Megan. That's interesting to me. That he spent another seven years in Zimbabwe after growing up for seven years in Zambia before coming to Canada. And that he still has close ties to the nation of Zimbabwe and helps work through our church here to support missions there. I find all that very interesting. And of course it's not uncommon for Ron and Chris to go back to Africa and go through the places where Ron lived. To explore that again. And to experience it again. And then to continue to do work in the name of the Lord there. All of that is wonderful to know, and it's so much more meaningful to me than how tall he is. It's interesting for me to know that David Bailey is a rancher and a farmer who trades in beef. I don't know much about beef farming. I think it's interesting, though. 
But beyond this is that it's extremely important to me that David Bailey's grandfather and his father started the Calgary Church of Christ with a handful of people in 1906. In fact, when David told me his story, here's what happened. When David told me his story, his story became a part of my story. And from the very day Robin and I arrived, we arrived here on June 2nd, 19, or sorry, 2006. And we got here right at the 100th anniversary of this church. The Holmgrens sang that day. And one of the things that happened was that Elsie Harrington's collections of stories and history from our 100-year history of our church was told and read and handed out. And immediately, all of that began to shape who I am. Immediately. From June 2nd, 2006 on, I've been shaped by that story. And the fact is, is that stories do that to ourselves. They shape us. We use stories to identify ourselves, to talk about what we are and what we should be. Our stories help create our futures because what we are is the summation of the stories from our past. And so I ask you, who are you? And Miles starts talking about Texas and how it was once a nation all on its own. And he won't shut up about it. And the only one who's really happy about it is John, Hedges, and Tyra. But that identifies John and Tyra and Miles and anybody else here who happens to be from Texas. It tells us who they are. It's like an identity marker that says, here's who I am. And the Jews always did this. They're always talking about how they are Abraham's children. The story of Abraham ends up defining them as the Jewish people. So I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 26. It's on page 143 in your pew Bibles, by the way. Deuteronomy chapter 26, page 143 in the Pew Bibles. And I'm just going to read the first 11 verses. And what I want you to notice is the story. And by the way, sometimes when people use the word story, you know, someone else hears that and they think to themselves, oh, when you say story, you don't mean anything historical. And of course, that's not the case at all. There's tons of things in the Bible that are absolutely historical and should be taken very literally. There are other things that are just story. You look at a parable of Jesus... You'd be making a major mistake to take that seriously. We have, to, we have to somehow negotiate our way through what's history and what's story and even what the point of it is. Well, here the Bible tells a story and someone voices a story. But listen to these words and the way this communicates identity. When you've entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and you've taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at the time, I declare to you today, to the Lord your God, that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. And here's what you are to say. Listen to these words. My father was a wandering Aramean. 
And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery and toll and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of that soil to you, O Lord, that you have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Well, what just happened? There was a sacrifice being made for sure. But far more than just a sacrifice being made, a story is being told. And it's a story that's supposed to be repeated. And it's a story with purpose. And what this story does is it identifies these people. It makes them who they are. I want you to notice especially the language in verse 6, 7, 8. Look at in verse 6. It says, but the Egyptian mistreated. And what is the next word? Us. And made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord, Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toll, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Well, who is us and who is we? And the reason I'm asking the question is because this is recorded some 400 to 500 years after the event took place. And the people who are to repeat this for generations afterward are not the us and the we who were in captivity in Egypt. But then again, they are those people. And when they say us and we There's a sense in which this is something that happened to them. They have their identity here in this story. It tells them who they are. And what's even more beautiful is that as I read these words, and these words come into my life, I can start to say, us and we. And I can say, my father was a wandering Aramean. Whom the Lord God called. And then my people were sent down into Egypt, into captivity, where we were oppressed. That becomes my story. That's who I am. My identity comes from just these kinds of stories. Well, that's just one of the times throughout the Old Testament when there's a summation of God's story told through people's lives. And the fact is, that's what the Old Testament is. And it's even, in one sense, what the New Testament is. You think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Just before he's stoned, what does he do? He tells, encapsulated form, the whole story of Israel. And when the Bible says that Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the story is continuing. And when we read those stories and we start to play out in our own lives, lives as Christians, dependent on those stories, that becomes my story. 
When the Apostle Paul tells his story over and over again throughout the book of Acts, at least three times the conversion of Paul is told. And somehow that becomes my conversion story. God meets me. He shows himself to me. I become faithful to him when he shows himself to me. And so what we're doing this fall, both in our life groups and during the sermon time, is to tell the story of God's interaction with people so that the telling of these stories somehow become ours. They become our stories. They become our lives. And we are going to be changed by the stories we hear because they will become our stories. And let me say something especially to our parents and to our families, parents of of kids. I guess if you're a parent, you're a parent of kids. These stories are very important for the discipleship of your children. We need to tell our children the Bible stories to show them that the Bible stories actually are our stories and their stories. Some story of who you are, of who your family is, is going to decisively, perhaps more importantly than anything else, work to determine who your kids will be. And the question is, what is this story going to look like for you? What will be its major elements? What sub-stories will make up the whole story of your family's life and the story that your children will hear? And will it be a story of faithfulness? Because I think this is absolutely crucial for your children's discipleship that they hear these stories, that they hear them from you. Part of my family story is that my wife has been teaching Sunday school for over 33 years. For over 33 years, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, she has taught the Bible to children. And she taught our children those stories, the same ones that we're going to look at this fall. And she's taught hundreds of children in the last 33 years, some of whom are yours. And she told them these stories. And then the beautiful thing is that the very fact that she has for 33 years been telling these stories to our children and the children of others, that now I can tell that story. And that becomes part of the story and that gets told about her. And so our son Adam, who has our grandson Easton, now tells the Bible stories to his son because he heard them from his mother. And he tells the stories about the faith of his mother in addition to telling the stories from the Bible and about how she told him those stories. And so all these children, including my own, hear stories about those who pass on stories about what God has done in their lives. And it goes far beyond 33 years. And so stories are told of the faith of Robin's mother 
And, and Greg, I just identified so much with the things that you were talking about this morning. I was thinking, here's this beautiful lady who for all her life helped others come to know who God is. And unfortunately, because you didn't know her then, you don't know any of that. And so now she's just a person who is just a shell of herself. But she's so responsible for initiating something like the telling of these stories in my wife's life. And, and of course, her mother told her those stories. And so Robin's mother's mother passed down these stories that now become part of my grandson's life and existence. And who is he? He is determined by these stories of his grandmother and his great-grandmother and his great-great-grandmother telling people these stories. He's shaped by it and becomes it. So we aren't just telling and learning Bible stories. We're sharing together in a disciple-making activity, discipling each other in a way that is perhaps as important as anything that we can do in church. Every now and then, people will ask me about raising faithful kids. And one of the most helpful things I believe I can tell them from my own experience is that you need to tell the stories about people of great faith including both the biblical stories and the stories of those in our own lives who lived the story and who passed on the story, just like my dear Robin has passed on the story. Just like Adam and Ryan's mother, and Megan's mother continues to tell her stories. And so that's what we will be doing this fall. And I hope that you're here to participate in these stories. It is so important. Another way that you can participate in this whole process of discipleship and storytelling is to be part of a life group. Since Oren Bailey was just old enough to walk, he's been part of life group in our church. Now he's able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And more than anything else, because I was a part of his life group, I know Oren Bailey, and I think Oren would agree with me that I know him pretty well. And I actually count Oren as a friend. He's what, 19? I'm 56. But we're friends. And it's largely because of life groups, and that's part of both my story and Oren's story. I can tell you stories about Trevor Ason and his early love of astronomy, because I remember being in life group with him nine years ago when he would pull out his telescope. And he, would, he even made a presentation once to our life group about all the things that he was learning about stars. It was wonderful. Now, I know that about Trevor now. I wouldn't have known that if he wasn't in my life group and if we didn't have a story that we can share. But we can share a story. Some of you don't know Sagang Lopez. But I can tell you that, when she was, that she was raised in a village on an island of Malaysia in a place where there is still fairly primitive existence. And I wouldn't know that about Sagang if it wasn't part of her story told in our life group. I only know the certain struggles that Shane Lopez has had and only can tell you about the events in Andrea Milner's life and her MS because they're in my life group. And we're all growing together in Christ. We're all sharing struggles together. We're all telling stories together. We're discipling one another because we're all part of the same life group. Mutual discipleship takes place in life groups. Stories get told there 
like in few other places. And so you need to be part. Some of the best stories of life in our church have happened to me in life group. And certainly some of the best discipling kinds of events in my life have happened in our life group. And so if we're serious about seeing discipleship take place, if you're serious about seeing it take place in your family, then please take the time to be part of a life group. Now I'm going to give you some instructions. Because I think all of this is really important. And I really do hope that you sign up for a life group this morning. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I'm just too busy for that. And I want to say this morning, seriously? Are you too busy to participate in something that is one of the most significant events in which you can share in terms of discipling both yourself and those around you. Please give me the list of the things that are more important in your life than that. It seems to me when we say, I'm just too busy, that what we really are saying is, this whole thing of discipling myself and others just isn't as important to me as some other things. And I think that's a huge, huge mistake And on that one, your story needs to change. And so I'm really encouraging you this morning. Our elders are also encouraging you to be a part of a life group this fall. And especially if you have children. Because your children's stories are being shaped every time they go to life group and they need to be. And I just can't think of a better place, something more important in terms of shaping their story and their character than being part of one of these. I really encourage you to do so. So here's the instructions. There will be a barbecue today that will start at about 11 o'clock for this group of people. Before that, there is Sunday school, and I hope you stay. Okay, But the barbecue will take place at about 11 o'clock. We're cooking hamburgers outside, hot dogs. Especially, I'd love to have the parents kind of point the kids in the direction of hot dogs. Okay? And then the second thing is, I want you to sign up for life groups this morning. (laughs) I want you to look at the life group descriptions on the green sheets that are being passed out even as we speak. Bud, go ahead. Glenn, go ahead. Pass these green sheets out. I want you to please look at the life group descriptions that are on the green sheets. And then I hope that you sign up your family or yourself, which is a family unit, for one of our life groups. Out here, on, this, on the outside of that wall out there, there are three tables. There are taped to those tables sign-up sheets. There are pens, one for each of those sign-up sheets. And I would love to have you go and sign up for one of those life groups. Your decision this morning whether or not to be part of a life group may not be the biggest decision that you'll ever make. I'm willing to admit that. But I really think that this is important. If your story and your family's story is going to be shaped by all the things 
by which it should be shaped. And so I really hope that this fall you take it seriously and that you decide as we go through God's story in people to let your life be shaped by the stories of others, especially in our groups. I won't go through the green sheet. I'll let you do that for yourselves. There are people here this morning who are life group leaders. I'm sure that you can talk to them and they can give you ideas about what their life group's going to look like. Take the opportunity to sign up. Enjoy the barbecue. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just praise you and thank you this morning that you have told your story and that you've told your story, God, through your interaction with people. We know who you are. You have revealed yourself because of the ways in which you've interacted in people's lives. And we see it throughout Scripture. And we just praise you and thank you that you've done these things and told this story. Bless us through this fall as we consider that story. Shape us and mold us and shape our stories. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.